Let's bow together. Father, thank you again for this morning. Uh, We thank you for the privilege we have to come and worship you and to praise you and to hear your word. And I pray you'd prepare our hearts that uh, we would be ready to receive your word, that you would uh, protect us from distractions, uh, that you would uh, help us to stay focused on what you have declared uh, for your glory. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've donned the doors of an uh, evangelical church these days, you will uh, most likely get a song and dance. You'll get a performance and a pitch uh, for a relationship with Jesus. Um, sadly, in these false gospels that go out week after week, um, implicit in those false gospels is the view that God's true gospel is not powerful, that it doesn't work. We need to spruce it up. We need to spice it up so that people will accept it. Uh, but uh, the Lord said through his word that the gospel, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. They're not going to accept uh, the true gospel unless they're willing to be convicted of sin and turn to Christ for salvation. And so we've kind of come to an era where the gospel has been skewed, an understanding of it. But as we come to our study in Colossians, we're going to see today the very nature of the gospel. And so would you turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 8. And as I uh, shared before, this whole chapter, almost up to the end of the chapter, is one long run-on. You know, I used to get dinged in school for run-ons, but I don't think Paul did uh, by the Lord because he is inspired by the Spirit. It's one long run-on, and it's wonderful, but it all connects together. But we don't have time to do it all at once, so we're doing little pieces. But remember, it's in a larger context, especially even in this portion that we're looking at, which is a greeting uh, where we're going to see Paul's thankfulness and prayer, but within that, the nature of the gospel. So turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 5 to 8. Now, as we have seen, the Apostle Paul is writing to believers in Colossae. Uh, He is writing while under house arrest. Um, This is one of his prison epistles, Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon, most likely written around 62 AD. And within this, we see that Paul, having been under house arrest, has heard of the faith of these Colossians. We'll see that today. Uh, he's heard of their love for the saints. He's been informed of their love in the Spirit. But he's also been informed through Epaphras, as we'll see, evidently of the threats uh, to the church. You see, these are believers, but yet there were threats to their faith. You see, because as we have received Jesus Christ, we are to walk in him. We receive him by faith and we walk by faith. So false teachers will come along with that which attacks our faith in Christ. Now within this, uh, these... Uh, false teachers were trying to, chapter 2, verse 4, delude them with persuasive arguments. Uh, They've got pretty good arguments set up. They're persuasive, but they're not true. Trying to delude them with persuasive arguments. And I believe these arguments were aimed at uh, every believer's struggle, which is the flesh. We want to follow the Lord, but we have this flesh. And we want to not sin, but we do sin at times. And within that, these false teachers were coming along with these ways to deal with fleshly indulgence. 
the Apostle Paul would say in the end of chapter 2, these, of a group of these things, are of no value against fleshly indulgence. And those things that they were trying to bring forth were secret wisdom. Hey, if you got this super wisdom, that'll help you not yield to your flesh, whatever it might be. Hey, if you're involved in rituals, that'll help you keep you from the flesh. Or, hey, you need the help of angels. You know, that will keep you from the flesh. Or you need to have certain rules, uh, ten things, you need to keep these promises, whatever it might be, uh, to keep yourself holy. Or actually, you need to treat your body severely so that you wouldn't sin. But Paul says these are of no value against fleshly indulgence. And so what is the solution that Paul brings forth to these Colossians? It is Christ. It is Christ, a center and focus on him. Chapter 1, he is our redeemer, he is the creator, he is before all things. He holds all things together, he is the head of the body, he is preeminent. He is fully God and fully man. He died to present us holy and blameless. He is in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, and you are in him. And we see in chapter 2 that in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And do not get taken captive by him, trust him then. Chapters 3 and 4, set your mind on the things above uh, put off the old, renew your mind, uh, say no to sin, kill it off, let the word dwell richly in your heart, uh, allow his peace to rule your heart, being thankful, renewing your mind, letting it controlled, be controlled by the word of God in all your actions, the word dwelling richly in the life of a renewed, the heart of a renewed mind of a believer. And then in all of our relationships, how does this flush out? in the marriage relationship, the parent-child relationship, the slave-master relationship, and with our relationship with outsiders, we need to obey the Lord in all those relationships, allowing his word to be prominent, renewing our hearts and minds, having Christ in the forefront. And so with that, so far in our study, we've seen an introduction, grace to you and peace. We've seen God's desire for us that we would continue to experience his grace, his unmerited favor in the person of Christ, and the result, which is peace. And then last time we were together in Colossians, we began to look at uh, the changed lives of the Colossians. Paul was so thankful for what God had done in the lives of these uh, Colossians who had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to back up to verse 3, and we're going to start our study in verse 5. Then I'm going to read through to part of verse 9, because it all really goes together like I mentioned before. Paul says in verse 3, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Now remember we saw last time, we give thanks is the main focus, then there's praying and then having heard, okay? Praying for always for you since we heard or having heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Hey, we heard you've trusted Christ. You believe in him, Christ Jesus, and that has manifest in love. We've heard that, so we've been praying for you because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard. Here's our passage in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all, just as in all the world also. It is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you, in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he has informed us 
of your love in the Spirit. And that's what we'll finish today. But notice he says here in verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. That's the context. Hey, this report concerning these Colossians is bringing Paul and his companions to their knees, Paul and Timothy, because of the changed lives of these Colossians. And again, you might remember, as we just read, Paul and Timothy were so thankful for these changed lives. They were thankful for uh, what God had done. Verse 3, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Hey, we are so thankful, and they're praying. It's manifest in prayer. They had heard of their relationship with Jesus. He says here, since we heard of your faith, in Christ Jesus. That's where it starts. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We trust in him and the love which you have for all the saints. These are saints. They're, they're not ain'ts. They are those who have been set apart through faith in Jesus. They are holy because of the righteousness of Christ. That's what you and I are if we've believed in Jesus. And I have, and I pray that you have. And so then, they have a genuine love. We saw a lot about love last time that uh, it is innate to a true believer who is not uh, quenching the spirit. Uh, when we abide in Christ and trust in him, allow his spirit to lead us, have his word in the forefront of our hearts, we're going to love one another. That love's going to be manifest in obeying the Lord concerning one another. We're going to see him and his desire, more important than ours, we're going to see thus his desire for you as more important than my desire for me, you see? And that's loving one another, as we say. And so within this, they were so thankful for these Colossians because they were genuine believers. You know, I, I, I hate it when you, when you wonder. And you don't do this because you're trying to be a fruit inspector, but you wonder, are they really saved? You go, oh, ah, yikes. You know, we don't like that. You know, we don't want to be, we, we, you know, it's so wonderful when it's obvious they're saved. Praise the Lord. They're really saved. These Colossians are saved. Praise the Lord. Oh, and we're so thankful, Lord, that they are, right? And then... Notice that after having shared his thankfulness for their changed lives, Paul then shares how God changes lives, how he does so. And that's where uh, the Bible differs from so many uh, churches these days. This is where churches have diverted and taken an, a, 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 a satanic plunge uh, into darkness concerning the gospel rather than uh, the true gospel revealed in the word of God. So let's take a look at that. Let's take a look at the message, and we're going to see the means in which it's brought forth, and then we're going to see an example or an illustration in the Colossians' lives. So here, in our passage here, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. That's great. Remember, uh, this faith and love is based on having heard the, about this heavenly hope laid up for them in heaven in the gospel. In the gospel. These, uh, these uh, Colossians had heard uh, and understood that the gospel reveals an eternal hope that is laid up for us in heaven. It is for those who respond you see, when we uh, respond to the truth, we recognize we have any, a, a heavenly home. We have a hope in heaven. And so notice he says, previously heard in the word of truth. And we'll look at that in detail in a moment. 
But then he says, in parallel, the gospel. So then what is the gospel? What's the gospel? We shouldn't really have to ask that question, but these days I think we do. Even back in Paul's days, we see that there were other gospels. There were other Jesuses. Not that there were more than one Jesus. There's only one true Jesus. God the Son who took on human flesh, who died for our sins, the way, the truth, and the life. But there were fakers and false Christs, false Jesuses that are being portrayed in false gospels. And so here, but what is the gospel? Now, uh, the gospel is simply, as we'll see, the good news. It's the good news. It's the good message. It's the, the good message. The gospel, term gospel, is found uh, 99 times in the NSB. It's from the Greek translation, euangelion, ou, uh, beneficial, good, uh, whatever it might be, good or beneficial. Angelion uh, comes from the word angelos, which means messenger. That's where we get our word angel, euangelion. We also have it found in the noun form, euangelion, uh, 76 times, and then the verb to combine for those 99. We have euangelizo, uh, which is to proclaim or announce the gospel. So we have this word that speaks of a good message or a message of good news. It could be a message of victory, a message that brought joy. It's a good message. It's a good message. And so let me point out some uh, observations about this uh, word, uh, the gospel. In Mark chapter 1, 1, Mark writes, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's his gospel. It's his good news. It is Jesus Christ's good news. It has to do with him, the Son of God. Romans 1, 9, for God in whom I serve in my spirit, preaching the gospel of his Son. It's the good news concerning the Son of God, Jesus Christ. In Romans 15, 19, 1 Corinthians 9, 12, 2 Corinthians 2, 12, it is the gospel of Christ. Christ's gospel is the gospel of Christ. We see in Mark 1, 14, Romans 11, 2 Corinthians 11, it's also called the gospel of God. In uh, 1 Timothy 1, 1, 11, it's called the glorious gospel of the blessed God. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Well, it's not only God's gospel and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Scripture reveals it's also the gospel of the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 16, 16. We know from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it is the gospel of the glory of Christ. The gospel of the glory of Christ. In Acts 20, 24, Paul is uh, saying, hey, if I thought my life was important, I wouldn't finish my course to ministry. Uh, and what was that ministry? To testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. It's good news of God's grace in the person of Jesus Christ. It's good news of God's grace in the person of Jesus Christ, God's son. It's the gospel of grace. It's in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says in verse 13, In him, you, after listening to the message of truth, we'll see that again later on, the gospel of your salvation. It's the good news of your salvation. It's the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ. It is the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. It's the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And we read this before, but turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 
Paul will lay forth the, the specifics of, of what has happened in the, in the gospel, the specifics of what Jesus Christ did for us. 1 Corinthians 15. Now I make known, brethren, to you, brethren, the gospel, which I preach. Notice, you'll see throughout Scripture, the gospel is to be preached is to be declared. It's not to be suggested. It's to be declared. God declares now that all men everywhere, right, need to repent because he's fixed a day in which he's going to judge. Uh, God says, repent and believe in the truth of Jesus Christ, right? So he says, uh, which, which I preach to you, which also you received in which you stand, by which also you are saved. You're not saved before the gospel. Don't believe the, the, the wicked theology going out there that someone gets regenerated before the gospel comes to them. They are saved through the saving truth that's revealed in the gospel concerning Jesus Christ. Jesus saves. Jesus saves us. And it is revealed in the gospel. And so here we see here, uh, which, also by which you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He's saying, hey, there's the possibility you might have taken it on a surface level. And it will manifest in your life later on. And it doesn't apply to you and you're in big trouble. That's what he's saying, basically. Okay. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The scriptures reveal that all of us have gone astray. Each of us sheep have gone astray. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was numbered with the transgressors. He died for our sins. That's why he died. According to the scriptures, that's the written word. That he was buried, that's an affirmation that he actually died. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That brings about the fact that God accepted his sacrifice and that he is truly uh, the son of God. He is a sinless, spotless lamb of God with death could not hold. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. He's raised according to the scriptures and he appeared to Cephas the twelve. We have the good news. The good news. In 1 Corinthians, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I, re- re- I mentioned this a little earlier, but I'll... Share part of it now. The Corinthians got a problem. They're they're like brag, bragging about who baptized who. Hey, I got baptized by him. Who I got baptized by him. You know, Paul's like, I'm glad I didn't baptize anybody. Oh, I did baptize. Uh, you know, you can hear him ugh in what he's saying. Um, and Paul says in Colossians, First Corinthians one seventeen, First Corinthians one seventeen. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech. Oh, that destroys so many seminaries right now. Not in cleverness of speech. That the cross of Christ should be made void. Oh, breaks my heart when I see the wickedness of that. Um, for the word of the cross to, is, is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Don't forget that. Satan wants you to think it's not powerful. You need to spruce it up. You're be ashamed of it, whatever. Paul says, hey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. He knows 
that God uses his word to convict hearts that they might turn to Jesus Christ, understanding they need a savior, recognizing that and believing in him to bring salvation. It's the good news that Christ the Lord, Jesus the Christ the Lord took on human flesh and he died for our sins and rose from the dead and that you can have forgiveness of sins. Peace with God through faith in him. You can have eternal life. It is the gospel of our salvation, salvation from sin and its eternal consequences of judgment. It is the message of good news concerning Jesus Christ the Savior. You might remember the angel's announcement to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. And I'll read this for you. An angel said to them, that's the shepherds, to the shepherds, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so we see in our passage... Now the Colossians had this hope laid up for them in heaven, which they previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. The gospel reveals there is hope past this life. There is hope, genuine, true hope, that you will have everlasting life if you believe in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, that you have a genuine hope laid up for you in heaven It is truly the good news to those who are willing to accept it. If you're not willing to accept it, it is terrible news because the same Christ who died for you will judge you for rejecting the good news concerning salvation in Christ alone. And you will experience, uh, after dying in your sins, a condemning judgment. You'll be thrown into the lake of fire for all eternity. There are people suffering in Hades, getting ready for judgment in the lake of fire. Every single day. You think of the rich man in Lazarus, uh, that example the Lord Jesus gave. He's saying, send Lazarus for water to put on my tongue. I'm in agony. Oh, send send him to tell my brothers. No, they have Moses in the scriptures. Let them hear them. If they don't hear them, they won't believe if someone even comes from the dead. The reality is there is a terrible, terrifying judgment for rejecting Christ, for for dying in your sins. We need salvation. And this is the good news. It's the good news. We think of it as not good news because we get ashamed and embarrassed because so many people don't want to hear it. Well, it doesn't matter if they want to hear it or not. Let God deal with that. If he prompts you to share it and he leads you to share his word while you have hope, share the word of God and know that God's word is the power, his power unto salvation. So then we have this tremendous, truly good news. And notice back in our passage, it's characterized as the word of truth. There's so much lies out there. Just listen to the news these days. Look on social media, TikTok, all this stuff. Lies, 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 lies. But here we have the word of truth. The word of truth. The gospel is the word of truth. We have so much satanic falsehood in the world You can live up your life with no eternal consequence. That's false. You can live it like you want. You can do whatever you want. You can be whoever you want to be. You can have whatever pronoun you want. You can do whatever you want. But that's a lie because there is judgment for sin. And God is gracious. He put his son on the cross in our place. He died for our sins. It's the message of truth. 
You see, Jesus pro- proclaimed that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed throughout the whole earth or to all the nations. The reality is that having overlooked the times of ignorance, Acts 17, verse 30, God is now declaring to all men everywhere that they, everyone, everywhere, everywhere should repent. Because, here's why people need to repent. Because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he's appointed, having furnished proof by, to all men by raising him from the dead. Because of judgment, men must repent. You see, the gospel does you no good if you don't know what you're being saved from. Jesus Christ died for our sins. And inherent in the scriptures, according to scriptures, are the consequences to our sins. And we need to share that. There is judgment for sin. But Jesus took God's wrath. He paid the price. It's the gospel of truth. It's the word of truth. Paul would share the Ephesians. I mentioned this earlier that after listening to the message of truth, Ephesians 1.13, the gospel of your salvation. It's, the message is, is, is twisted these days. The message of truth comes from the scriptures. Message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Speaking of salvation, James writes, James 1.18, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Don't buy into this this stuff where you can be brought forth and regenerated before that. No, he brings us forth through the word of God. It is through the instrumentality of the word of God concerning the person of Jesus Christ as the spirit convicts us of our sins and reveals Jesus Christ by faith we respond and we are saved. But you can reject it. God would say, do not harden your heart if you hear his voice. If you're being convicted, do not harden your heart. Don't turn away from this. There are those who recognize, we're going to see this word later on, it was translated learned, I think, but it's sees of recognizing, or no, it's actually understood in our passage. It's recognizing the full truth. Now, those are those in Second Peter who recognize the full truth and turn away from it. Don't be like that. People can recognize it, but not believe in Jesus, okay? They get convicted, they know it, and then they turn away from it. So then it is the word of truth. We have the truth. The church is the pillar and support of the truth not falsehood but the truth but the truth when paul uh, introduces uh his letter to titus he talks about uh god who cannot lie he cannot lie uh, our god it is impossible for him to lie hebrews 16 18 impossible this is the message of truth God is telling you the truth through the gospel. We better listen or we are eternally in trouble. Now, Jesus is shown in the scripture to be the manifestation of truth. We see in Ephesians chapter 4.20, but you did not learn Christ this way. Hey, living it up like you did before you were saved. You didn't learn Christ that way, uh, living in sin like that. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nothing, No one comes to the Father but by him. It is the message of truth from a God who is absolutely uh, unable to lie. A God who speaks truth in everything he says. Do you realize if it's God's word and it's tr- thus true, then if you don't agree with it or soften it, you are impugning the very character of God, and you are made a liar. Okay? 
Um, Paul is addressing, Paul, when he addresses the quandary of the Jewish unbelief, he talks about this in Romans chapter 3. He says, verse 3, What then if some did not believe? Their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. It is the message of truth. It's the message of truth. Indeed, when the Apostle Paul was sharing with the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, he made it clear, again, I mentioned this earlier, he didn't care about his life so that he would finish the course of the ministry. That ministry, as he shares here in Acts 20, and I'll read this for you. But I do not consider my life as account, any account dear to myself in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. You see, this passage reveals what the gospel is. It's God's truth. It's God's truth. And God's truth reveals the grace of God. God cannot lie. His word is entirely true and his mind revealed. Jesus would pray, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Psalm 119, 160, the sum of thy word is truth. Now within this, to our passage, we're going to see that this truth reveals the grace of God in truth. Look at our passage. It talks about the gospel, the end of verse 5, which has come to you just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. And I just mentioned this earlier, Acts uh, Paul talks about the gospel of the grace of God. That was, his, that was his ministry, to share that. You see, the good news points to Jesus Christ, but it points to the grace of God. It is the gospel of the grace of God. We see in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Jesus Christ has shined forth, he has come forth, the offer of salvation is available to all men. God's grace, his unmerited favor in the person of Jesus Christ has been brought forth. His unmerited favor demonstrated in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God's grace in the person of Christ shined forth appearing 2,000 years ago. His unmerited favor prophesied since sin entered the world was revealed and demonstrated to mankind through the death of God the Son for our sins, the once-for-all sacrifice of the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. His grace, his favor towards us, we don't deserve it. We are wretched sinners deserving of hell, and God graciously had his Son pay the price for us instead. It's the gospel of the grace of God, the grace of God. You see, that's the good news. But to understand the good news, we need to recognize there is some bad news. The scriptures reveal that man is in a horrible state of spiritual death caused by sin, which will end in physical death, and then, then the second death, which is uh, separation from God and punishment forever. For the wages of sin is death. That's the truth. That's the truth. Now, we've all smelled it. We've all smelled the stench of death that sin brings. The separation when we've sinned, even before we came to Christ and even afterwards, uh, the smell of death, shame and guilt and blame and cover-up and self-effort. 
You might remember back in Genesis chapter 3, uh, when Adam, uh, when Eve, Eve was deceived and disobeyed and Adam uh, went along with it, uh, they disobeyed God's word and the consequence was then shame and covering up and self-effort because they were separated from God because of their sin. Then the eyes of them were both opened, Genesis 3, 7, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together to make loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and then the man and the wife hid themselves. Wow. And from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And God says that to you right now. Where are you? Are you in your sin? He sent his son Jesus to die for you, by the way. He said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And then notice Adam blamed God instead of confessing. He could have come out and said, I, I, I sinned. And man said, the woman that thou hast given me, she gave to me from the, from the tree. And says, after the cast, what did you do? And I ate, he says. Some of you are still in the domain of darkness, as evidenced by uh, your shame and guilt and blaming others for your situations and your sin. And the only thing you have to look forward to uh, is the certain terrifying expectation of judgment. Hebrews chapter eleven twenty six. if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth. Now that's saying, hey, those who forsake fellowship are evidencing that maybe they're not saved. So that's the context there. Um, we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment. He goes on to talk about those who reject God's Son and insult the Spirit of grace. Uh, the Lord is, is going to repay with vengeance. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of Living God. These people live their lives with, with their noses and their, their hands in God's face and they die and they will stand before him in a terrifying manner. Don't believe the lies of the world. It's the gospel, the truth of the grace of God. God is a gracious God. You see, we've been saved by grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul tells the Corinthians, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. He was uh, eternally worshipped, eternally uh, exalted as God the Son, but he took on human flesh and humbled himself, uh, becoming a bondservant in the likes of men. He took on human flesh, and he was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him back to his rightful state, we see. The grace of God. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's God's grace. Are you listening? See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking, Hebrews 1225. So today I proclaim to you the good news that God's grace has appeared and that his grace was manifest in his son dying for our sins, paying the full penalty. And he calls upon you to acknowledge your sin, to turn, repent, believe in Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. There is only one name under heaven in which we must be saved. It's through Jesus Christ.
So then, the gospel is the good news. It's the message of truth concerning the grace of God and the person of Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose from the dead so that we can have eternal life through faith in him. That's the gospel. It's being perverted these days. It's the gospel of error these days. We need to not be ashamed of it because it's powerful. It is the powerful gospel. It is uh, the power of God unto salvation. Trust the Lord, and when he calls to you to be obedient as his as his minister of reconciliation, as his ambassador, share his words, not yours, share his. But you need to be ready. You need to be ready. Now what's amazing as we come to our passage here, that is the message. That's the, that's, that's the, that's the, the message of the gospel. But notice there's a means in which it is delivered. There's a means in which it's delivered. Verse, uh, verse, uh, end of five, the gospel. Notice verse six, which has come to you, just as in all the world. Paul reminds the Colossians that the gospel has come to them. This gospel, this message of truth, this gospel, the grace of God, it's come to them. Now it's interesting, it's not the normal uh, Greek verb to, to, to say come, which is erkomai, which is often translated come or go. It is par ami, which speaks of being alongside. It has come and is present. It's come and it's there. It's come and it's there. It's alongside. It was with them. It had been delivered to them, and it was with them. We never leave the gospel. God brings us the gospel, and it is with us, as we say. But God brings it to us. We don't come to it. God brings it to us. And how does he do it? He uses men and women who are his servants to deliver it. Look at verse 7. Just as you learned it, that's speaking of the gospel, from Epaphras. They were taught the gospel. The term learned means to be taught something. They were taught the gospel from Epaphras. And what then was their response? Back to verse 6. The gospel which has come to you just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. We'll look at that in a minute. Even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. First of all, you've got to hear the message. Someone brings it. You hear it. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We'll see that in a minute. You hear the message, but then you need to understand it. Paul would tell Timothy that it's so great, Timothy, your, your, your mother and grandmother, they brought you the, the truth that, that brought about the knowledge of salvation. And Timothy obviously understood in that. So here, now this term here, we understand it, akuo, we get our word acoustics. Understand is an interesting word. It's not epinosis, it's epigenosko, um, which means to understand or know exactly, or thus to recognize or acknowledge. You know, when you recognize someone, you know exactly who they are. Aha, it's you. <laughs> you got it, right? You know exactly. And so here, they heard it and they understood it. The gospel, that God had manifest his grace in Jesus Christ and that they needed a savior and he was the only savior. And they believed, we see that they believed by faith. Back in chat, verse four, they believed they had faith in Christ. Praise God. So he says, which has come to you. Then he says, just as in all the world. So wait a second. 
why do we have missionaries then? It says, just as in all the world. Kind of an interesting statement. Now, it's a difficult statement to interpret, but uh, does Paul mean everybody's heard it? Or is he just using hyperbole? Well, we know from Luke chapter 24 that the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. We know from Acts 4.12 that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that, by, that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So what's he talking about? I'm not totally sure, but what I think he's saying is the gospel has come to the known world. At that point, all of the Roman Empire had heard the gospel. It had gone out to the known world. It was known. Right now, it's known in the known world, by the way. It's come. It's come to the United States. It's come to other countries. Now, there may be pockets of people in the jungle who haven't heard, whatever it might be. God's bringing people to have them hear that. If they're willing, if they want, if they seek the Lord, you know, they, they, if they don't suppress the truth and unrighteousness, they call upon the God that made the heavens and the earth. He's going to bring the gospel to them. So here, they understood it. It was delivered by men and women, unworthy souls, fragile clay pots like you and I, and we, like Epaphras, get to participate in the greatest venture of all time, proclaiming and heralding the grace of God in truth. Second Corinthians 4, 5, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves is your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. Isaiah, Isaiah 52, 7, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace, and brings good news of happiness. Who announces salvation. How, how blessed are those feet. Paul would share this also. He would quote this in Romans uh, chapter 10 verse 14. How then shall they call upon him who they have not believed? How shall they believe in him who they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. Are your feet beautiful? Are they laden with the dirt of your own selfishness, having the glorious message held up in a dirty vessel? The Apostle Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. He understood his power to say, but we need to be walking with the Lord because sometimes we're ashamed of our own selves and our sin. We need to be walking with him so we're ready to share the truth. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Paul would uh, tell the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2, Our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. We share it with much more of a fear and awareness of God than a fear and awareness of the people we're sharing it to. We need to be caring for them, but we need to be fearing him much more. We've been approved by God to share the gospel. So we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. You know, we need to be ready. 
Let me be ready to share why we have a hope laid up in heaven. This world is getting darker and darker, and people are freaking out. And Christians are freaking out. Wait a second. You're Christians. We shouldn't be freaking out. We should be recognizing the times and praising him that this is not our home. And be ready to share why we have hope in the midst of this time. Peter would tell us, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. I mean, set him apart as Lord. If he's not Lord, you're not going to be ready to share why you have hope. Okay? Set him apart as Lord, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you, by the way, they're asking you, to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. We have the glorious gospel entrusted to us. We need to be ready to share it. Ready to share Pray for opportunities. Open doors. So then the message of the gospel is delivered by God through faithful men and women. And notice the result. Look at the result. Back in our passage, verse 6, which has come to you just as in all the world. Also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. Wow. He begins with the statement of the nature of the gospel and its effect in all the world. It's constantly bearing fruit and increasing. God's word is alive and powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Uh, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the intentions, uh, thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do, Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. So here we see the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. The term bearing fruit means bearing fruit, okay? The term increasing is actually a botanical term that speaks of a plant growing. You can actually translate it growing rather than increasing. It was often used to speak of a crop growing, uh, Jesus used it to speak of a mustard seed growing, the leaves of the field growing. Uh, Jesus used it uh, to talk about the seed that fell on good soil in Mark 4.12, and other seeds fell on good soil, and they grew and increased. They increased and grew uh, and yielded a crop. It produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. Paul uses this word to describe the work of God through his life-changing word. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted Apollos water, but God caused the increase or the growth. The growth. So then neither the one who plants or waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now what's interesting here is he's talking about an ongoing, continual, habitual growth and increase. This The, the, the Greek phraseology here is there's the actual Greek verb amy, which is, which is, is or to be. And so he modifies it here. He says, it, it, it is continually, habitually, constantly bearing fruit and increasing. The gospel is the power of salvation. It bears fruit of a changed life. Through their faith in Jesus, their love for the saints was manifest. We see in context, even Epaphras has informed them of their love in the spirit. You think of the Thessalonians. They got saved powerfully, right? Uh, God's word changed them. When someone hears the gospel, they don't change. Ay, ay, ay. When they've responded, praise the Lord. These Thessalonians, we see in 1 Thessalonians, the gospel came with full conviction. And we see that they turned 
to God from idols, uh, to, to serve and wait for his son from heaven, whom he raises, raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. They believed. And we know that not only does the gospel, the truth of the word of God, change us initially, it keeps on changing us. That's what it's saying here. Growing and increasing, or bring fruit and increasing. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And for this reason, same same theme. We constantly thank God that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. Hey, we praise God you accepted it and you got saved. And then notice what he says, which also performs its work in you who believe. The gospel, the grace of God never leaves us. As we've been saved by faith, we walk by faith. We walk by his grace. We walk by his grace. Everything from Christ, nothing from us. And it bears fruit and it increases. So then, he says they're bearing fruit increasing in every increasing. Notice even further on, we're going to see this. If you look in uh, verses 9 and 10, we see the worthy walk, which we'll look at next time, Lord willing, stems from being filled with the knowledge of his will, and it will manifest then, or will be bearing fruit, verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's going to bear fruit. So now it's not only that those who responded in the known world, notice Paul narrows it down now to the Colossians, back in our passage, which has come to you just as in all the world, also it's constantly, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you. Since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. Now, your translations may not show this here, but there are two phrases that are exactly the same. One is in the beginning of verse, or right in the beginning of verse 6, it goes like this. Just as even in, just as even in all the world. And the same phrase is used in the middle of 6. Just as even in you. Just as even in all the world. Same phrase, just as even in you. It's bearing fruit in the world and increasing as it is in you, Colossians. In you, Colossians. And notice he gives an illustration. We see this here. This happens, and it's been happening since, the, since day one. Here we go. Since the day, middle of six, you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. They heard, they understood, they, they, they know, knew exactly, they responded, they recognized it, they acknowledged it. They believed in Jesus. And so from day one, there has been fruit coming forth and increasing growth. That's the real believers. So praise the Lord. That's something to pray about, isn't it? That's something to pray about. And then, as I mentioned, there's an illustration of this. Verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. Epaphras uh, evidently shared the gospel with them. He taught them the gospel. The word learn means to be taught. He taught them, Montano, he taught them the gospel. He learned it. It's speaking of the gospel, the grace of God and truth. You learned it. You learned about the grace of God. People say, hey, I got saved. Well, what does that mean? They didn't even know about the grace of God and truth. But they learned the grace of God and truth, what Christ did for them. 
Evidently, Epaphras had gone probably to Ephesus. We know that when Paul was in Ephesus, all in Asia heard the word of the Lord. We see that in Acts 19. Quite possibly, Epaphras went there. We don't know. But what we do know is that they learned the gospel from him. What a good guy. They were taught it, and they recognized the truth, and they believed it. And at some time, Paul shares this. They shared it. Now, notice how he describes Epaphras here, this in this illustration. He calls him our beloved fellow bondservant. He's loved. He's a fellow doulos. A bondservant is one who is owned by a master and held over to do his will. We were held over to do the will of sin before. That was our master, our own desires. And now Christ, a good master, is leading us. And we're held over to do his will. We've been bought with a price. We're not our own. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. We're either going to serve self and sin or God, as Paul would share in Romans 6. We can offer ourselves to sin or we can offer ourselves to God. Who we obey, either sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. Romans 6. So we've been bought with a great price. We're servants. Joshua would say, hey, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. But notice, he was not just a bondservant. He was a faithful servant. Middle of verse 7, of Christ on our behalf. Paul's saying that, hey, he is doing his service for Christ on our behalf, which implies Paul is directing Epaphras how to serve and what to do. But he's serving Christ. And he says he's a faithful servant. Beloved fellow bondservant, faithful servant of Christ. This means he was willing to do whatever Paul asked him to do. Whatever Christ led Paul to ask him to do, right? And I want to ask you, are you a faithful servant? Are you willing to do whatever the whatever those the Lord has placed in authority over you spiritually? Are you a faithful servant like Epaphras? You know, over the years as I've served, there's only a, a few number of people who serve faithfully without complaining. They just do what I ask them in the Lord. And I'm so thankful. So thankful. So then, he's a good guy. He's faithful. Let me share one passage before we close up here. 1 Corinthians 4.1 Let us regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy or faithful. Or faithful. So he's faithful. He's a faithful servant. And he had brought the gospel to them. He taught it to them. And then notice, he has also done something. Verse 8. He has also informed us of your love in the Spirit. That's the fruit and that's the growth. That's what he's talking about in context. He has informed us, also informed us of your love in the Spirit. You see, we receive the Spirit of God and we're saved. And when we abide in Christ, his Spirit in us, we're going to love. It's going to be from him. We're going to see others as more important. And he said, hey, I got, we got the report. We got the report. And it's a good one. So these Colossians had responded from day one. And they were bearing fruit and growing in their relationship with the Lord as evidenced by their love in the Spirit. Because the word was at work and then the gospel was at work in them. So let me ask you this. Is the gospel continually bearing fruit and growing in you? Is the word of God at work in you? 
increasing your love, God's Spirit loving through you as you abide in Christ. This is what should be happening. We're not perfect with sin, but this should be happening. For this reason also, since the day of day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. That's what we'll see next week. We heard of it. You're loving. It's true. It's true. So then we've seen the gospel, the good news, the word of truth, revealing the grace of God in truth, what Jesus did for us. And it came to the Colossians, and they responded, as evidenced by bearing fruit and increasing from day one. How about you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this passage. Thank you so much for the good news of the grace of your grace in your Son Jesus Christ. Father, may we be uh, those who are ready to share your grace, not simply just being gracious, but to share the good news uh, of your Son Jesus Christ, the message of truth. May we have it on our hearts and on our tongues. May we be remembering that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. May we remember the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. May we have your word in our hearts ready to share with those who are in desperate need around us. We pray for open doors, Lord God. doesn't seem like there's many open doors. seems like people are closed to the gospel, but we don't know what you will do and can do. You can do anything. With man, it's impossible. With you, all things are possible. I pray we'd be ready. And Lord, I pray for anyone here today who has maybe recognized that they have never had a day one, that they never truly got saved. I pray they would examine themselves if they're washed by your son's blood or not, if they're cleansed. And for those of us who know you, maybe we walking daily by our Savior's side. I pray this in his precious name. Amen.